Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management archaeology and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 161 for April 10th, 2019. Bill Ochter is your host today. He recorded some interviews at the 2019 Mid-Atlantic Conference to highlight the people and archaeology of that region. So get ready to learn about the East Coast because the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. Hello, this is Bill Ochter, East Coast Bill. And uh, I am here in Ocean City, Maryland at the Middle Atlantic Archaeology Conference, 49th annual uh, one of that. And I'm currently in the book room. What you're going to hear next is a, uh, hopefully, a series of interviews um, that I'm conducting with some Mid-Atlantic archaeologists uh, to get a better feel for what is done here in the Mid-Atlantic, the area between New York and uh, Virginia, um, and sort of the unique things about archaeology in this area and a lot of things that are going to be... Uh, common to uh, most folks who do archaeology in North America and even around the world. Uh, So listen, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, I'm here with, uh, at the Mid-Atlantic Archaeology Conference, and I'm here with Dr. Bernard Means uh, of the uh, Virtual Curation Laboratory at Virginia Commonwealth University. Uh, Dr. Means is a previous guest on the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Uh, Welcome back, Dr. Means. Uh, thanks for having me. Hi, Dr. Mead. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions, sort of about yourself and also about Mid-Atlantic archaeology. Um, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. I'm a, a teacher, well, I'm a university professor at Virginia Commonwealth University, as we've already said. Uh, I was born in uh, uh, what was then West Germany. I'm an army brat. Uh, traveled around the world a bit as a kid. Uh, came to the U.S. Uh, in my last year in high school. Um, went to college uh, to become an astronaut. Uh, that didn't work out quite the way I thought. Uh, but I took some anthropology classes and got sort of interested. I had a really good undergraduate professor who taught me about archaeology. And then when I went to graduate school, I decided that archaeology is what I wanted to do. Okay, okay. Um, sort of to follow up on that, um, so what made archaeology sort of that, that bug uh, that sort of caught you when you sort of had those other interests? Um, this is somewhat stereotypical, uh, but I remember watching Indiana Jones <laughs> and Raiders of the Lost Ark, and that sounded kind of interesting to me. And so uh, when I got into graduate school, I actually was sort of uh, kind of between being going into cultural anthropology and going into archaeology, and I decided to go into archaeology, uh, partly because of the romance of dealing with the past. Okay, cool, cool. Um, now, can you tell us a little bit about, about the work you do at uh, VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University? Sure. So I, uh, uh, my primary uh, job is to teach undergraduate students about archaeology and anthropology in general. Um, I also uh, run the Virtual Creation Laboratory, um, where we uh, are focusing on how, working mostly with other uh, facilities, helping them uh, with uh, 3D scanning and 3D printing needs. Uh, we do a lot of of course, archaeology, but we also do some uh, work with historic sites and increasingly working with uh, paleontologists with their collections as well. That is cool. And if you get a chance, uh, follow them on uh, Instagram and you'll see some of the uh, great uh, 3D scans uh, that they have uh, on there. So, Dr. Means, uh, what, uh, in, in the world of archaeology, what are some of the things you would like to see changed? Um, I would like to see more funding. I think we all would. Um, I would like to see more people engaged with and understand why archaeology is important. Um, And this includes not only sort of the general public, but I think even also university administrators or people who run museums uh, seem to be think that they can get away without not having archaeologists on their on their staff. Um, And so I'd like to see that change. I'd like to see 
more sort of an embracing of archaeology, not only by uh, the aforementioned professionals, but also by anthropologists, so, which I think uh, are less uh, welcoming of archaeologists than they should be. Yeah, kind of the, uh, the four-field thing is not always a true cohesive four-fields. Uh, I, I definitely agree with that. In fact, I know a university where uh, archaeology is not considered part of anthropology, uh, specifically at that university. So um, there's too few of us in anthropology and archaeology that we shouldn't all just get along and help each other. Very true, very true. Now, now let's flip it to the other side now. So let's, let's look positively at things. So what, what are some of the things that make you hopeful about the future of archaeology, uh, both in the United States and sort of around the world? Uh, one of the things I really like, at least, uh, and this is sort of very local, um, being here at the Mid-Atlantic Archaeology Conference, is seeing the number of students who are actually engaged, uh, who want to be professionals and working with professionals, and who themselves actually have a professional demeanor. I don't think I acted... Uh, quite as professionally as, as they are at, at, at their age. Um, so I find that particularly hopeful. Um, around the world, um, um, I do some international collaboration, and I think uh, we're seeing a, a bit more of that. Um, uh, and uh, certainly from the perspective of the United States, I think it's... Um, I don't want to say this... Um, People are recognizing that there are other voices out there. So it's no longer simply white archaeologists going to a foreign country and, and doing archaeology. There's, there's real collaboration going on. Um, there's real projects that are being directed by uh, people in other countries. And I think that's a really uh, a positive sign. Not to say that those projects weren't there before, uh, but these international collaborations are actually true collaborations. Okay. Um, now let's sort of bring it back to home. By home, I mean here in the Middle Atlantic. And uh, so, what what are the kind of uh, some things that you think make the Middle Atlantic and Middle Atlantic archaeology specifically uh, sort of unique from other regions of the country? Um, well, the two regions I've uh, worked in primarily are in the American Southwest and the Mid Atlantic region. And one of the things about the Mid Atlantic region is the diversity not only of archaeologies, uh, both uh, uh, native and then uh, uh, post European uh, contact, but also the diversity of, of sort of political entities. Uh, several states are very close to each other, they all have their sort of unique uh, archaeological traditions. And uh, the Mid-Atlantic is, is an interesting sort of blend of all these different uh, histories and traditions of archaeology. Okay, uh, thank you. And actually, uh, one last thing to sort of conclude our uh, argument. I believe you are now the president or president-elect of the Mid-Atlantic Archaeology Conference. Uh, I am the president-elect of the Mid-Atlantic Archaeology Conference, so I'm uh, finishing up uh, my first year, and then I'll become president in one more year. Uh, and I wanted to be president-elect of the Mid-Atlantic Archaeology Conference uh, because I really think we need to sort of move forward and, and, and make sure we engage uh, with, with more younger archaeologists. Uh, it's one of the sort of problems that a lot of state societies in the Mid-Atlantic region, and I'm sure elsewhere are seeing, is that a lot of their members are graying. Uh, and uh, if we don't bring in new people, uh, we're not going to have a, a vital uh, field uh, going into the future. And that makes a difference not only for the people doing archaeology, but it makes a difference for preserving our heritage. If there aren't people to study it, how are we going to know that it's important to save and preserve and, and, uh, and make available for uh, their children's children? Okay. Well, Dr. Means, thank you for your time, and uh, we hope to hear you again at some point on a future episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, I'm back. I'm here now with uh, Jack Bernacki, a retired uh, government contractor who has been a 48-year member of the uh, Middle Atlantic Archaeology Conference. Uh, Mr. Bernacki, uh, thank you for joining us. Well, glad to be here. I... Uh I am just number two senior member of the Middle Atlantic. I did not attend the first session, which was held at American uh, University. I attended the second session, which was held out at the Thunderbird session. So I have made every one since. So I got 48 of them in a row. And I have published old, numerous articles in the Mac Journal and uh, been a strong supporter of it. Well, it definitely sounds like you have a large institutional knowledge of this organization. Um, so how did you 
get into archaeology? You would, I, I, you know, in my younger days, I didn't uh, admit this, and at my older age, I'll admit it. I was into cowboys and Indians when I was a kid, and guess who played the Indians in my neighborhood? I did, <laughs> and it's been the love of the Native Americans ever since, and uh, everything I can learn about them, contribute to their understanding, their knowledge, and their history, I will work right towards that. Okay, okay. Um, and I guess I may even sort of go into sort of the next question of, like, why is this thing so central to you? You kind of answered that a little bit by about your passion uh, towards Native American peoples. Um, but is, is, that, is there anything else to sort of why you're really into archaeology? Uh, it's a love of history. Uh, and it's the, a friend of mine, uh, Floyd Painter, he's, he's dead, but he told me many, many years ago, he said what he loved about archaeology, there was always something new to find and that's exactly the truth uh, you don't know what you're going to find tomorrow so you, you got to go out and look for it very very true um so you've you've obviously have seen archaeology for a long time um what's 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 would be like one thing you would like to see changed in the, in the current world of archaeology or crm archaeology that is a wide open question, and I uh, I don't know really how to answer it because, I, of course, I'm not a change agent. I like the idea of this conference has a good number of young people here, which means there's I've I've been talking to them. There's various universities, Indiana University. I was kidding him in Pennsylvania. Uh, their uh, their enthusiasm for what they're going to do. They've got, you know, a long career of this, and I, certainly I hope they'll all make a contribution. And uh, so archaeology is ongoing, and as I already said, there's always something new to find. Very, very much so. Um, so would it, would it just be seeing young people here that sort of makes you hopeful about the future of archaeology, or is there anything else that's, you're, you're, that makes you hopeful with archaeology and, and what's currently going on? Well, the archaeology has expanded tremendously. I mean, there was a time when I first got in it, I knew all the archaeologists working on the Atlantic coast. Now I don't even know the, all the archaeologists working in my county. It's expanded so. And it gets too hard for the general public to find out what archaeologists are doing. So a lot of it is is just mundane uh, salvage reports, and that's the end of it. And uh, the public really doesn't know exactly what uh, is going on out there. And I think you need more of that uh, access, you know, getting it out to the public, general public. Yeah, no, very much so. There's a, a lot of gray literature out there uh, with a lot of reports that never get to see the light of day for the public. Now, to sort of conclude this thing here, and, you know, with your sort of storied history, and I'm looking out here to, at, at all the books you have uh, on this table here in the book room, um, what is it about Middle Atlantic archaeology that you find so unique? It can be what it is about Virginia, because it seems to be Virginia is your, is your, is your focus and your concentration. So um, if you want to go into, like, you know, what, you know, sort of a, a quick summary of all this volume of work you've done in terms of what, you know, what it is about Virginia and Mid-Atlantic archaeology that makes it so unique. I don't have to use my uh, mind for Mid-Atlantic. A sea captain found a bipoint about 10, 12 years ago. I have to, my memory fails me on when. Called the Sinmore bipoint, and it was found with a mastodon tusk, which the Smithsonian was able to date at 22,000. That makes the Mid-Atlantic the oldest dated contacts on the Atlantic coast. And that's what uh, makes Middle Atlantic archaeology so important, because there's more and more of that. We just simply got to go find it. Oh, you're right about that. Yeah, we, we one 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 piece is found, but you, you know it's always built upon more more data, and that's what we're out here trying to do is try to find more data to support uh, ideas like that. Um, so once again, Mr. Vernacki, thank you for your time, and uh, thank you for joining us uh, here on the CRM Archaeology Podcast. As they say, my pleasure, sir. Hello, I'm back. I'm in the book room, and uh, now I am at in front of the table for the Mid-Atlantic Archaeology Conference Student Committee. And uh, with me now, I have uh, four members of the Student Committee. Um, could you please introduce yourselves and uh, what schools you're affiliated with? 
I'm Sarah Grady, and I'm the current student chair of the student committee, and I am from the University of Maryland. I'm Ingrid Morgan Gavin. Um, I study at UAlbany doing my PhD, and I am the graduate representative of the student committee. Hi, I'm Katie Boyle. I am from University of Maryland. I just graduated with my master's, and I'm the incoming student chair. Hi, I'm Samantha Lee. I'm the event organizer-elect for the Mid-Atlantic Archaeological Conference Student Committee, and I am a second-year PhD student at the University of Maryland. Cool, cool. So we got a, we got a wide range here, graduates and uh, PhD students, or master's and PhD students, I should say. Um, so does anyone uh, want to talk a little bit about the, the work they're currently doing, either with the committee itself or your own uh, individual research? Uh, so my dissertation um, is about the archaeology of enslaved children in America. Um, so this morning I gave a talk that was um, slightly related but a little bit different um, that I actually accidentally stumbled upon in my research. Um, it, it was an account book from 1804, um, and the, the owner of the account book, John Taylor III, um, his great-grandchildren actually used the account book um, for scratch paper 60 years later. Um, so I discussed children's doodles and the lack of representation of children um, in both the archival and archaeological record. That's, that's very cool, very fascinating. Uh, thank you. So I got my master's from Maryland uh, in May of last year, so I do a whole bunch of different things. I do CRM work. I also teach as an adjunct professor at Howard Community College. Um, I've taught at the University of Maryland last fall, and then um, I'm a volunteer with the Smithsonian Environmental Research Center. Very cool. Um, I, I'm working on my dissertation, which will be examining the use of Norman School Church in the Hudson Valley during the late intermodal archaic. I'll be applying a nine-out indentation and uh, Fourier transform infrared on uh, geological samples of the church and kind of bridging the gap between uh, the artifacts and the geological samples using FTIR. Um, hopefully I'll be getting some results on that later this year. Okay, cool. Cool. You're still, it's still in process, but it sounds, sounds very interesting. Um, so I've been involved with a lot. I graduated back in December um, with a dual master's in applied anthropology and historic preservation. Um, I am a, I'm working with the National Park Service on two different contracts, so I get to dabble with GIS and also with museum collections, um, and I get to do some field work. Um, I was involved with a project in Baltimore most recently, um, and we were working in West Baltimore on a really, really neat old house that I'm going to be presenting on on Sunday here. Um, and just the archaeology of that and what it can tell us about Baltimore today. So a little bit of everything. Very cool. I'm out, I live outside of Baltimore, so that uh, sounds very, very interesting and cool. So um, let's change the pace a little bit here. Um, so in your, in your studies... In your years of experience, uh, what is one thing, if you can think of one thing that you may want to see change in the world of archaeology? Um, so I've seen this more and more over the years, but uh, more public engagement happening and actually reaching out to the communities where you're working, um, which I've seen it happening more now. Um, but it's important to talk to these local communities and not just go to conferences and talk about your research. Very much so. Public engagement's very, very important. Okay. Uh, and sort of go to the opposite side of that, or the flip side. Um, what is something that makes you hopeful? Something that you're seeing um, in the world of archaeology, and it looks like it's going in the right direction, and, and, and you're hopeful that it's really going to help, help things, change things. Well, this is just an example, but in Quebec right now, there is definitely an effort going on to improve working conditions and improve uh, salaries for our trustful trusty shovel bums. Hopefully, that will lead to some greater gains, at least in terms of permanent employment. But it's, it's getting me hopeful a bit. Good. I mean, that is definitely a concern of many of the many of the listeners here in the CRM Archaeology Podcast. The uh, rate for field techs or, or lack of rate and things like that. Um, so, let's now sort of shift gears now to the Mid Atlantic uh, Archaeology Student Committee here. Um, 
So what what exactly does the, the, the committee do? So the student committee was probably started a few years ago, um, and so it's more to reach out to students, get students more involved in the professional aspect uh, before they graduate, especially in undergrad, um, to get them engaged more in what archaeologists, professional archaeologists are doing. Okay, okay. And I see uh, we're recording this interview on Friday, and I see that we have an event going on this afternoon. Have the uh, Archaeology Olympics this afternoon. Um, we're going to be uh, doing artifact bingo, uh, archaeology jeopardy, and speed mending. So we're going to have some broken vessels that you got to mend really quickly. And there's a shot at some prizes. There's a 3D printed artifact or 3D printed trophies uh, for the top prizes, and there might be candy involved. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's a really good bonding experience, um, and it gets people involved. It gets them to meet each other and these I mean we're the future of archaeology so it's kind of good to have that networking and team building kind of stuff too very much so it makes me want to do the old man I wish I had this when I was in grad school (laughs) so um thank you all for your time uh it's, it's you know I know we're here in a busy book room and people keep running by the table and so forth like that but if we have students in the Mid-Atlantic area, uh, region who are interested and in maybe, you know, didn't know about the, uh, the MAC student committee or uh, didn't realize that they, too, could also become a member of this. What's, what's a good way for, uh, for the interested students uh, to reach out to you, to you? We have a Facebook page. Uh, it's the Mid-Atlantic Archaeological Conference Student Committee. Uh, if you just search that on Facebook, we'll pop up. And... We're very responsive. We actually have someone who's a social media representative that deals with all the social media stuff, and they'll respond within a few hours. That's very good. That's very important because there's, there's a lot of professional archaeologists and professional archaeology companies who could use uh, an actual dedicated social media person. Uh, we know who they are. You are sh- Well, you're probably not listening to a podcast, <laughs> but it's a shame on you. Uh, so, yes, thank you. Thank you for, for doing all that kind of stuff. So uh, um, with that, I am now going to go find my next, vic- I mean, interview subjects. Hey, everybody. Chris Webster here jumping in to talk about the membership system for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We've got uh, a number of members that are at three different levels. And honestly, membership is just for people that want to support us. Uh, You can always get our podcast for free. But if you want to kick in a little bit extra each month, I know funds are always tight. But for as little as $5 a month, or I think it's $42 a year if you get it for the full plan. And trust me, that really helps out. Because if, you know... 500 of you listeners, and I know there's 5,000 of you, but if 500 of you even kicked in five bucks a month, that would dramatically change everything we're able to do here. So head on over to arcpodnet.com forward slash members. If you get any value out of this episode or any other episode, please just try to kick in a little bit. And uh, you can also just give us a donation of $5 if you want. I mean, I don't care. Any little bit helps. So arcpodnet.com forward slash members. Now back to the show. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to uh, day two of the Mid-Atlantic Archaeology Conference uh, here in Ocean City, Maryland. My voice is a little strained today from all the uh, conversations in the uh, hotel bar after the events last night. Um, But I am soldiering on and will give you guys more interviews from day two of the Mid-Atlantic Archaeology Conference. Hello 
welcome back. And I am with another returning guest of the CRM Archaeology Podcast, uh, Dr. Alexandria Jones, founder of Archaeology in the Community based out of Washington, D.C. Welcome back, uh, Dr. Jones. Thank you for having me. I'm also here with uh, one of the volunteer staff who is a CRM professional, uh, Thomas Cuthburn. Well, welcome. How you doing? Okay. Um, so we've got a couple questions here just to let our listeners know about, you know, what is you know, your work and what is archaeology community. So uh, if you can tell you a little bit about yourself and also sort of the founding of, of archaeology in the community. So archaeology in the community is a mid-Atlantic-based um, archaeology education company. We have three programmatic tiers. Um, our largest is youth um, education around archaeology. Our second one is professional development, where we work with graduate students, college students, and uh, budding new professionals um, who are looking to get into community archaeology. And we also train classroom teachers. Our last is uh, community programs, and these are our overarching um, kind of one-off programs that we have with guest lectures, speakers, and then our festival that we host every year. Okay, thank you. It sounds like you're very, very, very thorough. There's a lot of things going on uh, with that, um, and it's, that's, a, that's a great outreach uh, going there. Um, so why, why archaeology? Why, why is archaeology the, sort of the focus for this sort of outreach uh, effort of yours? We use archaeology as a method, it being a science, um, to teach kids not only about the environment and the world that we live in, but how we're interconnected with it. So archaeology tends to be that perfect vehicle to do that. We are constantly talking about ourselves, how we develop, how we grow, how we change, and then we apply it to material, culture, history, and heritage. And by bringing all those together, archaeology um, tends to be the uh, glue which we use to um, teach that and kind of get all those important lessons about uh, respect and heritage and people and culture across to everyone. Uh, there's also no other field that is as interdisciplinary as archaeology to approach all of these subjects all at one time. So having having to look at uh, geology and history and chemistry and whatever else we can f- find to throw into a lesson is, is really helpful in trying to teach kids how to do, use critical thinking and have those have that skill set. Cool. Very, very good. Um, now, since since you are sort of like at sort of the crossroads between professional archaeology, academic archaeology, and the public uh, on there, well, with that, and we, it's a frequent topic on on the, on the progress is sort of the, the problem of public communications. How do we communicate back and forth? Um, is there anything that you see in sort of in the world of archaeology that could be better uh, to sort of uh, communicate our, our message and so forth uh, to a greater public. Remember our humanity. I think that's one thing um, that we forget is that we're people. And just like everyone else, we have things that we love, that we're interested in, that we get excited about. Using that passion and that energy um, to convey and to look at what we do, but also using it when we're dealing with the public. Think about what what are people going through, what are people experiencing, and how does that relate to the topics and the things that we're talking about. Uh, the way that we do the public outreach, we I think personally, if we're going looking for change, we just start talking to not archaeologists. Where our archaeologists tend to be very insular, and we need to, we need to break out from that. And uh, as as much as we do, the, like the Ar- archaeology podcast network and and you know blogs and outreach programs, we're doing a lot of things that are only reaching people who are already interested in archaeology. And programs like the Day of Archaeology start we we start actually like reaching out to into the community for people who would not necessarily otherwise be exposed to this stuff. Okay. Um, now, to sort of give it the other view on this, what is it currently in archaeology that makes you hopeful about its future? So our biggest focus is kids. And I would say for me, um, it's the kids. I mean, it's their excitement at the end of a class. It's the hugs that we get. Um, It's them running to their parents, telling their parents what they learned and trying to teach their parents what they just learned. Um, That's what makes me hopeful about our future, and that's what gives me hope that um, we will end up being sustainable and that we can continue through and that we are creating a new generation of stewards who are actually vested and want to see the continuation and and the thriving of archaeology. All right, thanks. I know that that's that's, that's very uplifting. Yeah, you know. Children are our future <laughs> uh, type of thing. So sort of the last uh, sort of go-home question on this. We are here at the Middle Atlantic Archaeology Conference. What is it about the Middle, Middle Atlantic that's sort of unique in sort of the world of archaeology? Um, 
because a lot of our listeners are, are maybe have never been to Mid-Atlantic or have never done archaeology here. Um, so what, what are some of the things that, that make this area unique? I think what makes the Mid-Atlantic region so unique is um, there's so much history and heritage here. And by default, there's so much archaeology here. So it gives us a plethora of sites, a plethora of experts, um, a huge amount of um, information to kind of pull from and to use to engage the public. And I think that's what makes it amazing. Um, There's also a huge amount of diversity um, in this area in which we can look at different cultures, different time periods. Um, So I think that's what makes us special and me excited to work in this area. And it is one of those, the region itself is kind of interesting just because it has been, since the early colonial period, um, just a a nexus of trade, of people, of everything coming in and out from anywhere you can think of. Um, Maybe not as much as the Caribbean, but also it's been as sustainable and well-developed and redeveloped and and reoccupied and unoccupied and reoccupied again. Um, So uh, it's, it's it's always just really interesting to see like things like site reuse and things like uh, who's, who's trading with who, where and where they getting their stuff from. And it's, uh, it's, it's always, uh, it keeps you on your toes when you're, when you're doing archeology span in the area. Okay. Um, Now, finally, um, as a, as, a, as a nonprofit organization, um, you rely upon the support of volunteers and, and funders. So if any of our listeners were interested in uh, volunteering their time, volunteering money and other resources, or just wanted to get more information about the uh, archaeology in the community to maybe uh, try to maybe replicate something like that in, in, in different areas of the country, um, what's the best way for uh, people to reach out to you? So I'd like to highlight we are celebrating our 10-year anniversary this month, Um, so we're very excited about that. If you go directly to www.archaeologyincommunity.com, as soon as you click on the page, you'll see our 10-year anniversary drive. We're trying to raise money to keep all of our programs free for kids. Um, But in addition to that, we love um, your support. We love you as a volunteer. So if you're interested in volunteering, there is a link for more opportunities in the organization that you can click and become a volunteer. We do have a page with all of the volunteer opportunities. Um, And if you're an archaeologist, we have stuff for even archaeologists who are not located in the mid-Atlantic region where you too can also uh, participate in AITC. So please visit that site. It's www.archaeologyincommunity.com. Dr. Jones, Tom, thank you very much for your time. And now I have the pleasure of uh, sitting down here with uh, Dr. Ruth Tricoli, uh, city archaeologist for Washington, D.C. Uh, welcome, Dr. Tricoli. Hi, Bill. Nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So um, we're going to start off sort of with some general questions, uh, some more about yourself, but also about your role as city archaeologist for D.C. Um, so, uh, so if you could, you know, briefly tell us a little bit about yourself. So uh, I went to Rutgers University, Douglas College, so I got my start in Middle Atlantic archaeology right uh, from undergrad. And um, I like to say that uh, I graduated and started doing CRM fieldwork right out of college. I did nothing but phase threes for about two years. I didn't even know how to dig a shovel test because it was just mitigation after mitigation. It was really amazing. I worked on Wall Street in Manhattan twice, uh, the Abbott Farm National Historic Landmark, prehistoric sites, mitigations um, for months out there right out of college. It was really an amazing experience, really formative for me. It was um, the basis uh, pretty much of everything that I went on to do afterwards. And it was just really a wonderful experience. That's, that's very cool, very fascinating. To, um, that's a privilege uh, uh, to be able to get that sort of experience that early in, in your career. Um, so if you could tell me a little bit about, about uh, your, your work in D.C. and maybe some of the, uh, maybe, maybe an interesting project or two uh, from your, I know, of, of so many to choose from, uh, you know, maybe a, a selection of one or two. One of the interesting things about Washington, D.C. is people don't realize really great and amazing archaeology there. And we were writing postcards earlier for archaeology in the community, and people wanted, the children wanted to know, do you travel a lot for archaeology? And I have to say, no, I don't need to, because we really have cool archaeology in Washington, D.C. And it's partly because of the history, 
and the nation's capital, but it's, it's much deeper than that and broader in time. So it's located at the fall line where the uh, coastal plain meets the Piedmont, and those kinds of junctions in space are locations where people come together, and they're a magnet. They're a central place, really, on the landscape where you get different resources, uh, plant and animals, and stone tool materials, for example, for Native American sites. And all these different things come together in one place, so it's a wonderful place for people to live, whether it was prehistoric or colonial or historic. And that's why Washington, D.C. is where it is today. So the archaeology spans all those different time periods I just mentioned. And so it's a really deep, rich rich history. Uh, very much so. I've said, as, a, as, a, as a side confession, I've done some work in D.C. myself, and yes, I've absolutely seen the, the richness uh, that can come from out of the District of Columbia. Um, so, so next, um, so why archaeology? What, what, what is it about archaeology that, that makes it the thing you're still doing uh, right now? Uh, I love the thrill of the chase. The research, uh, you know, finding research questions, uh, identifying research questions, and then finding data to answer those questions. Um, the the it, it's so much fun, and I first uh, got interested in archaeology as a child. So with that, uh, so with your, with your years' experience in, in archaeology and sort of uh, sort of being a very crucial tangential player to the world of cultural resource management, uh, as being being you know the, the state archaeologist for the District of Columbia, because District of Columbia should be a state uh, by this point. Um, what are some of the things you'd like to see change, both either in archaeology or specifically in the world of CRM? I'd like people to place um, more emphasis on actually correctly um, analyzing the collections and getting them ready for curation. Um, that's always seems to be the, the, it's the last thing that gets done in a project and the money spent earlier on. You need to get the field work done to get a report written. And so the collections always see short shrift. And so as part of my job, um, I'm also the curator. And it's, um, it's, it can be really difficult. There's no money to finish actually processing a collection and so we've actually accession incompletely processed collections and then had to rally the interns and volunteers to finish like tagging and bagging and you know analyzing you know and that's just not how it should be it's just the reality of field work today and it just shouldn't be that way people aren't spending as much money on projects as they should be yeah, yes, very much so. I mean, it, it, it sort of defeats the sort of future um, scientific uh, uh, analysis of these things. I mean, here at the MAC conference, I've seen so many papers uh, where there's a, 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 a master's student or a PhD student who's gone back through a previous collection or previous collections uh, on a site that have taken place over decades and are using that data. But if we're not recording the data correctly the first time, uh, it makes it really impossible with that. So, yeah, thanks. Thank you for that. So. So I'd, I'd like to remind people that there are wonderful collections out there in facilities that need analysis that were never reported. And we've seen a number of those papers here at this conference, and I've heard people actually say, um, take on this project. It would be a great master's thesis, and it's here waiting for you. So, yes, yeah, so a word to everyone out there who's thinking about uh, going to uh, grad school. You don't have to excavate uh, to get your master's degree. Uh, you can uh, process and work existing collections. So with that, and thinking future and thinking forward on that, uh, what would be something that uh, makes you hopeful about the future of archaeology? Uh, the students that are coming through right now, undergrads that are here at a conference giving posters and papers, I didn't have that opportunity. Uh, so to... The future of archaeology is in those people coming on up now, and I, and I, I just think it looks really bright. Yes, yes, I mean, very much so. I mean, here, you can hear that common thing on there, and, it, it, and Mac is 
uh, with the presence, as, as my previous interview with the student committee sort of showed, uh, there is definitely an, an effort here in, in, in the Mid-Atlantic and with Mac specifically to sort of help nurture the next generation of archaeologists. And seeing, that, seeing their papers and their presentations is, is, is a very much thing making us hopeful uh, about the future for us. So to sort of wrap things up uh, with this, um, we, are, we are at the Mid-Atlantic Archaeology Conference, um, so we are concentrating on sort of the areas surrounding the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, what are some of the things um, about this region, or as the city archaeologist for D.C., uh, the District of Columbia, I know we, we talked about it a little before, but what also maybe expanded about the, the Middle Atlantic um, that makes this area so unique um, and everybody's a sport of a special little snowflake. No, no offense to the Southwest people out there. Um, but, but Middle Atlantic is its own special little snowflake. So what, what are the kind of things uh, that makes this so unique? Well, it's a small region space-wise. And so there's a lot of um, collegiality among archaeologists where we all communicate and, and we know what's going on. And then you're right, the Chesapeake runs through it. And then on the backside, we have the Appalachians, you know, on the spine. And so while we have all these subregions, we're linked by those two things. And I think that's really important um, in terms of the material culture, if you're talking Native American um, and, and people moving north and south by water, by land. And then east-west, we get some really cool... Um, uh, movement of people and objects from, for example, the Hopewellian cultures, where we've got high-style, full-blown Hopewell um, on the Chesapeake Bay on both sides, you know, and, and there were east-west trails, evidently. Um, not all of them have been identified, so there's still a lot of work out there, and that's what's kind of cool. Like, we haven't solved everything yet. The, there are still big mysteries to be solved in terms of people and movement and um, cultural contact and all kinds of things going on. Yes, uh, very much so. That's what, sort of the one of the reasons I'm sort of doing all these interviews here is I w- want to let it, the rest of the country, the rest of North America, the rest of the world um, know about sort of the great work that is happening here in, in the Middle Atlantic. Uh, Dr. Tricoli, Thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure, and uh, we hope to uh, maybe someday have you uh, back on as a guest uh, for the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. My pleasure. Hey, everyone. Chris Webster jumping in one last time to talk to you about WildNote. I'm actually on a survey project right now. I'm recording this from Yuma, Arizona, but when you're hearing this, I'll be in Albuquerque for the SAAs, so come check me out at the WildNote booth there if you're hearing this in real time. If you're not, well see me at the next conference. Anyway, talking about WildNote, I've been on this project. I came down here as WildNote tech support, but I'm also working as a crew chief on their project for two and a half weeks or so. Long linear survey. We've recorded uh, probably several dozen sites. I don't know, maybe like 50, 60 sites. They've got some more to do. But we've submitted over 200 WildNote forms. Now that's 200 forms, the California DPR forms, primary forms, arc forms, photograph records, uh, artifact forms, all those. And guess what, folks? The site records are done, right? You just have to check them a little bit, make sure your numbers are right, make sure sentences are complete, and the site records are finished. Full DPR forms in seconds. So check it out, wildnoteapp.com. Now back to the show. Hello. Uh, It's now uh, Sunday morning on the final day of the Middle Atlantic Archaeology Conference. And as as I sit out here on my uh, hotel balcony, um, I'm ready to do one final interview uh, for you. Uh, this one will be an interview of myself. So, tell me a little bit about myself. So, so I'm sort of a latecomer to archaeology. Um, as a child, I was fascinated by things by like Indiana, uh, Indiana Jones, National Geographic magazine, the National Geographic specials that would be on public television. So I had this bug. So when college came about. I was an anthropology major and I got to school and found out that archaeology was completely different than I understood. Um, Between that and other things, I ended up dropping out and for the next 15 years I mostly spent my time in uh, retail banking uh, until I got an epiphany at one point where I just couldn't do it anymore. It wasn't me. It wasn't in my soul. Uh, So I dropped out. This is about 2007 right before the economic crash. It was probably a good time to get out of that. And I went back to finish my degree, and uh, ever since then I've been on the role of mostly working in CRM, 
um, with a little specialty sometimes in telecommunications. But that's a sort of my road uh, to archaeology. So it was, a, it was a long, there was a detour on the way, uh, but I make it. So what about my work? What do I do? Uh, right now, I am a, a field supervisor uh, for a large uh, engineering firm, uh, which basically means I'm the one who, ex- who helps make sure that the uh, work plan is executed out in the field. Um, so when, you know, we have the proposals and we have these, uh, you know, workflows and work plans, we make sure, I'm, I'm the one to make sure that all the holes get dug, that we actually do the test units, um, that collects the data. Uh, I'm also the one who writes a summary of the field report uh, for the uh, final report uh, on that. So mostly that's what I do uh, right now. So why, why archaeology? And this is, this is an important one for me because... Um, as someone who sort of had another sort of life experience, a uh, first career, and come back to archaeology, it's it's the stories, um, the sort of helping you know tell help to expand stories that we already know, um, but all just as important, maybe not more important, help explore stories we we don't know about people and places. It's always that sort of you're in the field, you're, you're digging test units in the middle of a, an abandoned cornfield, expecting nothing, it's been nothing all day, and then all of a sudden. Uh, 17th century artifacts come out, and six months later, when you have a block there, you realize you've run into an ordinary about a half mile outside of this old port town um, that was serving as a trade route into the what was then uh, the, the frontier interior uh, of the uh, you know early Maryland colony. Uh, so that's that's always that that thrill of discovery. There's nothing quite like that, and it's a thing that keeps driving you back, even when times are bad, when you're just digging. Shovel test, uh, negative shovel test for days on end. It's when you find something that's that sort of endorphin rush that gets you moving. Um, so, what about, what about anything in CRM that I would like to be see changed? Um, I mean, there's some high level stuff like um, um, the National Historic Preservation Act uh, could be more in line. Since it's sort of based on the National Register of Historic Places. Um, it's meant it was first and foremost sort of with the eye towards architecture, and it, at times it almost feels like archaeology is an afterthought in in that, um, since really the only thing that, that triggers archaeology is a potential future knowledge. And it, I think it's worth looking back at and going, is that the only thing archaeology is useful for, is for its f- future uh, potential research? Um, but you know that that yeah, that would be like one of the things that uh, I would. Uh, I would like to see change, just sort of a re-examination of that. It's been 50 years. We've done a lot more work since then. Um, I think we can do something better. And what makes me hopeful about the future of archaeology? Uh, one, being at this conference and seeing all these students out here and sort of their enthusiasm and all the, the questions they're asking that I'm not even thinking about. Um, they're, they're sort of diving into the use of technologies so naturally and comfortably where I enjoy technology. I, I, I like the application of technology in there, but it's not, it's not always natural uh, for me. But for, for these students I'm seeing up here, it's, it's second nature. It's things they've grown up with. Uh, and, sort of the, and also being so entrenched uh, in basically being plugged in and computerized for their entire lives, um, they, they think about things uh, in, in sort of that manner as well. So... That is definitely something that makes me helpful about the future. So what makes Mid-Atlantic archaeology unique? Uh, for me, uh, and this is why I wanted to do the final interview with myself, because the Mid-Atlantic is, is, is my passion. It's where I grew up. I grew up just outside of Washington, D.C. I've spent most of my life in this area. So this is you know, sort of very personal to me. Um, I, I enjoy that within this sort of range between Virginia and New York, you have such a diversity of, uh, of of landscapes and peoples and stories. Um, you have the you know the Atlantic coast. You have the Chesapeake Bay, which is its own unique, wonderful you know estuary of sorts. Uh, it's it's capped in by the Appalachians on the west, and you have in each of those regions you have such a different story, uh, both in pre-contact and in. Uh, you know, once European colonization occurs and even into the growth of the United States, um, these areas uh, are, are unique and, and then sort of their cultural signatures. Um, I, I enjoy being uh, in a region where we can examine the hard stuff, like examine 
um, slavery from its um, origins within the United States. Um, you know, this year is the uh, 400th anniversary of Jamestown, 1619 of the first arrivals of Africans into the colony. Now, I know Spanish America had it maybe a few years earlier uh, in southern there, but within this region, this is sort of the early stages of what becomes the United, what becomes first the uh, British colonies version of chattel slavery, and then eventually gets inherited over by the United States. So, having all of those types of things happening here in this one place um, is 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 a, is a privilege to be able to work in, in this area. Now, all that being said, it's while the I, to me the Middle Atlantic is a special little snowflake. I understand that every region is like this. Every region has its its uniqueness and its story to tell, um, and it's one of the reasons uh, you know I'm, I'm was interested in, in, in recording these uh, interviews over the course of this weekend because it's really the regional conferences uh, that I'm sort of plugging right now. In general, anywhere, any local archaeology conference you can go to, um, because the stories that that are told there are typically may not always be the ones that make it to the national conferences because there's so many material going on there. Um, Additionally, this is also, if you're working in a region, where you're going to make your networking and your contacts and so forth. Uh, To me, at this point now that I've been coming uh, to this conference now for about eight years, it's almost like a reunion. Uh, It's people I haven't seen in a year, old colleagues, old friends. Um, And that's important. You build those things over time. So if you're a new tech Go to your regional conferences. That's, that's, that's how you build your network. That's how you sort of are going to take your next step uh, in your career by making those connections with people. So um, I hope everyone has enjoyed uh, listening to all these interviews over the course of the weekend and has, maybe has a little better understanding uh, of what is the, uh, the Middle Atlantic and, and the kind of archaeology we do out here. And uh, hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archpodnet.com slash podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at arcpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle, in Reno, Nevada, at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.